There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. We just came back from a trip to New York City, my husband and I did, and we one thing we did was tour the 9-11 Museum, uh, and I must tell you, we, we hadn't done it before, and if you are back in New York, emotional and troubling as you think it might be, it's a really good thing to do. We were glad we did it. You are reminded about a, a point in American history that we just need to remember, and we need to understand all that we can about what happened. I also went to a conference, and at this conference, people were talking about the idea that there's another war going on in, the, in America. There's the war that the radical Islamists have against America. That's our war abroad. But internally in America, they're talking about, and, they use, and some people are using the term, a civil war. And I want to talk about that idea tonight. And actually, that idea will weave its way through many topics that we'll hit on tonight. The one way in which inside America's borders we are in a civil war of sorts has to do with the battle between the left and the right. But really, the more I thought about in preparing for, t- for today's show, it's really a battle of the American left not just against Donald Trump. It's very much a battle against Donald Trump. But more than that, it is a battle against conservatism. And really, at its core, it's a battle about against many fundamental ideas about America. It's basically a strident refusal to agree that Donald Trump was the legitimate winner of the 2016 election and that he should be permitted to carry out the role of president, that he should be permitted to carry out in, in executive actions based on his presidency. I'll give you just some brief examples. Because the Democrats aren't just fighting about policies. They are fighting at the very core idea that Don Trump gets to be president. The notion of Democrat sanctuary city mayors simply saying, no matter what you say, we will remain lawless. We will undermine you. We will not cooperate. Courts striking down Don Trump's national security executive orders that relate to refugee policy. And as we have covered on this show many times, and I'm a lawyer, I'm telling you the truth, these courts have no justification for striking down his orders. They, they have a statutory obligation to defer to him. There is Supreme Court precedent compelling courts to, confer, to defer to the president on this, this type, this issue, executive orders relating to um, aliens and immigration policy. And these courts are part of the left just saying Donald Trump is not going to be allowed to run this country. In a similar way, we have an organized and orchestrated media. You could turn on CNN, the conspiracy news network, or whatever you want to call them, and for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's all anti-Trump in one way or another, bringing on one more expert, one more person to argue that Donald Trump shouldn't be allowed to do this. There really was a Trump-Russia connection. Investigations going on. It's coming up on a year. In July of this year, it will be next month. It'll be a year they've been investigating and come up with zero zip nada, but still the the, uh, headlines are filled by CNN and others claiming there's some sort of illegitimacy with Trump and Russia because um, something happened during the election. No evidence, but doesn't matter. Leftists agitators, leftist agitators are so worked up against the idea that Trump should get to be president and that the conservatives should be allowed to have a voice. They are in a very organized way attacking talk show hosts. Sean Hannity, 
a talk show host, radio and television, was actually had major advertisers pulled away because left-wing agitators, uh, he had major advertisers for his TV show and radio pulled away because left-wing agitators decided that he should not be allowed to talk about the case of a Democrat National Committee young employee worker, Seth Rich, who was murdered, and there is, is an unsolved murder from July of last year. Sean Hannity wanted to talk about it. The left-wing America saying, you can't even talk about this. We tell you. And they attempt to shut down that conversation. You know, we have also just an embroiled division in America, really along tribal lines. It has been just planted and infused in society uh, with eight years under Obama. The basic notion that your identity is some hyphenated identity and the entire purpose you have politically is to demand rights for your hyphenated group, criticize other hyphenated groups. It's a divisive intentional effort by the Democrats and the left to do this, and Trump is not humoring that. This enrages the left. And I want to talk to you about why the left is really so enraged. Look what President Obama was able to accomplish in eight years, and they thought that Hillary Clinton would would continue for the next four years. President Obama, in the time he was president, he legitimized and normalized the idea of socialism in America. He He got people onto the notion that government should solve everything, that limited government was somehow an evil concept. He he had he's weakened America's military. He has weaponized the federal government through the IRS. He has increased by orders of magnitude the numbers and percentage of Americans dependent on the government. This was a major shift. This was a fundamental transformation of America brought by by President Obama. And all these leftists assume will be perpetuated by Hillary Clinton. But she lost. So here we are in 2017. The war of the left continues not just against Trump, but about everyone who dares to stand up for some of the ideas of America's founding. Like we're actually allowed to have free speech. We're allowed to have political conversation. And if you don't see it this way, then you're part of the problem on the right. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? 
We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility, when politicians propose solutions, to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Love, love, love talking to you every Sunday night from 6 to 8 p.m. And this is the first Sunday of the month, so I have my Millennial Roundtable here, which I just love. And uh, tonight, I actually want to give each of them a chance to tell you a little bit about themselves. I have Ali Beth Stuckey and Jeremy Wolf here. And um, we're going to jump right in in just a few seconds here and talking about what happened in London and the political fallout from that. But first, I want to let Ali Beth a moment just to tell us, to our listeners, who you are. Yeah, so I am a vlogger. You heard that correctly. It starts with a V, a vlogger. I'm a video blogger um, at the Conservative Millennial. I've actually only been doing that for less than a year, but it's really taken off. I've just uh, put together these two to three minute videos giving the Conservative Millennial perspective on what's going on in politics and culture. And um, I also work for The Blaze. And so you can find that by looking me up on Facebook, the Conservative Millennial blog. Um, I'm also at theblaze.com slash Allie, and you can go there. And that's a pretty good summation of what I do. Yeah. And Jeremy Wolf. Um, yeah, so I just uh, finished up the full-time MBA program at SMU uh, here in Dallas. <clears throat> I've been sort of involved in politics from a young age my, my, uh, due to my family. 
Uh, most recently, of course, is my dad's campaign in 2014, challenging uh, Pat Roberts for the U.S. Senate. I uh, ran a conservative challenge, was very close, um, but sort of learned a bunch about how everything's going on, the, you know, the political landscape that's going on, sort of the divide between the GOP and actual conservative uh, conservative ideals. And so I've, I've since been heavily involved and, uh, you know, here today. So glad you're here. And his dad, we've had on the show, I think a couple of times, Dr. Milton Wolf. he ran for U.S. Senate in a primary in Kansas. And, and the incumbent there, uh, you know, this is, we talked about the time, I'll talk about it again. The incumbent there was a uh, very long term and very establishment guy. And the, it wasn't just that the, uh, it wasn't a primary for the voters to decide. It was really a lot of the GOP establishment got in the middle of it and just said, you know, you're not taking out uh, someone that we can rely on and bring someone who might actually insist on conservative principles. Love your dad, Dr. Milton Wolf. And um, I, I wish he was going to run again, but I know that's it's, it's a pretty tough experience. Okay, but I want to jump in tonight because this two hours always races by. We And, you know, we changed topics um, on the show, what we plan to talk about based on events. And so we did, unfortunately, again, have a terrorist attack um, in London. And I realized driving here, I actually am unaware of any of the names of the terrorists in this case. I mean, it's, it's funny because... We, they happen so often, not funny is a bad word, but they're terrorist attacks so often, and as soon as you hear it, you know, you realize right away, it's, it's, it's a someone, um, it's a radical Islamist, it's a jihadist, it's someone who practice, follows Islam. Even though we don't have the names, I, I don't feel at all unsure whether I should say that. So what happened in London, in short um, form, was a car, a, a white van driving down the road and went up on the sidewalk and, and ran over a bunch of people. Then the driver and other people jumped out and they were stabbing people. And the good news was that police were there pretty quickly and they did manage to um, kill th- these three assailants. Not before they had, in addition to run people down, run into a nearby market, the borough market that has a lot of trendy restaurants and, and stabbed some people in there. But, you know, so it's a horrible thing, of course, but it really brings up What's happening in Britain right now, because Theresa May, the prime minister, called for an early election. So right now, the parliament, I think, is dissolved. There's no parliament functioning. She's called for an early election, which is now June 8th, which I think is this coming Thursday. So she's being challenged. Theresa May is being challenged by a guy. Now she's the, you know, the more conservative side. And then the uh, labor side, the labor party person is Jeremy Corbyn, who has been very public especially after the Manchester um, bomb at a concert, came out and essentially blamed the United Kingdom, blamed foreign policy, saying essentially that we're making these young Muslims mad who live in England because we're sending troops to other countries and fighting Muslims, and, and we, we can't deny the connection between our foreign policy fighting ISIS and the Muslims living in England creating terrorist acts. So I, I could launch, but I'll let one of you. Do you have a reaction to that, anybody? So what does he recommend that we do then? So they get angry. They come over here because we're fighting terrorism. Um, and then they cause more terror and they kill people. So are we just supposed to shake hands and be nice? Are we supposed to give them a hug? Um, what What does he suggest that we actually do to curb terror? It doesn't sound like that's his number one priority. Sounds like his number one priority is making sure that we don't hurt people's feelings. And what I would like him to know is that terrorists don't have feelings to hurt. They are not concerned with whether you're nice to them or not. And I think we all can probably agree here that it's an ideological and religious issue, not an issue of decorum or manners or disagreement. And to think that is absolutely naive. And I just can't. 
I cannot wrap my mind around these people insisting on emotional protection and political correctness, willing to let people die for it. And he's adult enough to run for prime minister of England. He's that much of an adult. On the other hand, he seems to be so naive that he's saying, well, maybe if we're just nicer. And the other question that came up, and I was telling both of before we got here, we were talking a little bit about this whole incident in England, was, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I mean, even Theresa May, who is the more conservative, the current prime minister, was she kept calling it extremism. And she was called out by Nigel Farage, the guy who led the charge in Brexit, to say, don't call it extremism. Call it what it is. Call it it is it is Islamic jihadism. It is Islamism. It is call it something related to religion. So, do you, but you know, again, if you're Jeremy Corbyn, you say, well, that might agitate them. Jeremy, you know? yeah. So <clears throat> the the logic itself is so circular because they'll they'll decry anybody as as Islamophobic if you're willing to call this what it is, which is Islamic terrorism or Islamism or whatever term you want to give it. If you call it what it is, the the left leaning people in America and otherwise will will call you Islamophobic. But their position that they actually take is that if we're not nice to these people and we don't capitulate and give them what they want, then they will kill us all. Which in and of itself is is Islam uh, Islamophobia, right. right? They're the ones who are the most <laughs> afraid because if we That's don't just point. give them exactly what they want, they're going to kill us all, and and yet they're going to call us Islamophobic, and so. It's it's a bit of circular logic there. Mm. You just can't win. You just got to go for truth. And you know what's an amazing thing right now is, so here they have this election coming up in England, and they have Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn. But, you know, we had this kind of, it's almost like a precursor election in France where they've had more terror attacks, more deaths. I, I had the charts a few weeks ago. This, the number of deaths in France is staggering because they have an extremely large Islamic population brought in from Northern Africa and, and Middle Eastern countries who have lived and festered in communities outside of, of Paris where they all live together and, and they agitate each other. But anyway, so we had this election. We had the ability of the French to choose between Macron, the guy who won, who actually said during a campaign speech— Right after a terrorist attack, well, it is imponderable, and I guess it's going to be with us for a while. It's going to be with us for a while. And Le Pen, a little bit feistier, the woman who did not win, was saying, we have to direct faces head on. We have to start exporting people. If they're on a terror list and they're not a citizen, they're out of here. We have to be monitoring the mosques. We have to be monitoring the neighborhoods. She was a proactive get after this, and the French people went from Macron, and it wasn't close which caused some of my friends who are uh, numerous friends who've actually lived in that part of the world, who live in in Muslim-majority countries, to say, France is over. The French people chose the guy who somehow thinks we're going to make nice with them over the one who said we have to crack down. And now here we are with Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, the sad thing is, is that these so-called leaders, and like you said, they're adults, they're supposed to be able to not just make decisions for themselves, but for masses of people are being just as asinine as Katy Perry, who is a <laughs> pop singer, who said essentially the same thing in less eloquent terms that, oh, we should just all love each other. And if we just all unite, I mean, they're essentially saying the same thing. So we can make fun of Katy Perry all we want to, and we're right to do so. But we should be making fun of Macron, too, and Corbyn as well, because while they might be more political and sophisticated in their rhetoric, they're just as wrong. Oh, they're just as wrong and just as dangerous. I mean, yes, you know, I, I feel I really do feel for the citizens at really in, in London and England and all over France, because I think a lot of them, I mean, you know, they 
They see all this evil. They don't like it. They're afraid of it. And they want someone in, to tell them, how do we make it stop? And, and Which they should want. And which Americans, and frankly, if we transfer over to America, this is one of the main reasons that Donald Trump won the election last year. Was because they, they were down to a choice. When it came to the general election, you're either with the guy who's saying, we're going to stop bringing uh, refugees here until we can vet them properly, figure out who's dangerous or not. And we're going to we're going to win the war on terror. We're going to actually defeat ISIS versus what was Trump's? I mean, what was Obama's word? Contain. We're going to contain them. And, and Trump said, no, we're actually going to defeat them. And he talked in tough terms. And people in America in 2016 voted, yes, we'll take the guy who's going to crush this. We'll take the guy who's going to fight. And that's where we are. And I hope, because we're going to run out of time in this segment, but I want to go back in the next, um, I don't know when it's going to be, sometime in the second hour, because we have a great guest coming up. But talk a little more about this, what's going to happen in um, England, because I am actually afraid that the polls have gotten really close now, that Corbyn might win because the people, because his argument is the war on terror isn't working. Let's find a new way, which is the, the Katy Perry hug. You can't make this stuff up. Okay. Hey, we come back from the break. We have a great guest joining us, Kimberly Strassel. Uh, she's a member of the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. She writes beautifully. She speaks beautifully. She's a fabulous uh, thinker about America, and I can't wait to have her on. Don't go away. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. 
Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit Texas policy.com to learn more. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm joined tonight by my Millennial Roundtable. Love having them here every... Well, I love all of our roundtables. We love having them here. Tonight I have Ali Beth Stuckey and Jeremy Wolf joining me. And we also have online Wall Street Journal uh, editorial board member and prolific writer and great thinker, Kimberly Strassel. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. It's so great to be here. So glad to have you on. You know, I um, it was really fun. I'll tell our listeners... Kimberly and others came to Dallas to do a um, a presentation to Wall Street Journal subscribers on Trump's first 100 days. And honestly, I, I there were a lot of events like that because everyone, because he's such an astonishing president, new and different president. But um, we, yours was very, very good. And I just appreciated that you guys did that for Wall Street Journal people. And all the comments that you guys shared were very, very, actually, to tell you the truth, I had to do a speech like that the following week. So it was a little bit speech prep to go listen to you guys. <laughs> no, thank you. Dallas is such a great crowd. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. I wish we could go do things like that more often. Well, there are a lot of conservatives here. It's a tiny, tiny bit different, I think, than living in New York. I'm going to guess. So I actually live in Washington, D.C., outside of Washington, D.C. But, yes, it is very much different from living in New York or Washington, D.C., yes. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to jump right in and tell our listeners, the reason I was hoping to talk with you tonight, you had several things that you wrote recently. I I love a lot of your work, but um, I guess there were several things I wanted to hit on, and I want to go to your most recent column first, which I just thought was making some great points. Um, 
essentially about because the media has been so obsessed with Trump and Russia and Trump and Russia and Trump and Russia. And, you know, even though they never discover anything, they just talk about it kind of 24 seven that a lot of Americans are not realizing some of the great things that Trump has accomplished. That was a great point. You want to share a few of those? Yeah, it's been incredibly frustrating because if you think about it, you go back to the fall, and that was when the intelligence agency said that they thought with a high level of probability that the Russians had interfered in some way with our election. We have not had a single substantive fact come out since then. Nothing that has greater informed us about just how they were engaged or what they did. Instead, what we've had is day after day of stories of guesswork and half uh, leaks, things that are taken out of context, you know, the scandals that get turned into more scandals, but we don't really know what the truth of them is because they're all based on anonymous sources. And meanwhile, while all of this is happening, one of the things I wrote in my column is that you had, for instance, the Dakota Access Pipeline going live. Uh, for instance, you had the Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, saying that he was going to uh, take the first steps to reopen the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska, which the Obama administration had shut down in 2013 for no good reason. He said that his his uh, department was going to take the first steps to potentially even opening ANWR, which is about two decades overdue. Yes. You had the Commerce Secretary saying that he was still open to a big trade deal with Europe. Uh, you had the senior leaders of the Senate on the Republican side saying that they had moved beyond just talking to actually drafting an Obamacare replacement, and they potentially have it by July. So lots of things going on. You just didn't hear about it because they're too busy talking about a third-degree removed story about Russia and Jared Kushner. Absolutely true. And, you know, I just feel like uh, several of the networks that live, that just seem to live and die or wake up every day to find a new story, it's just that they can even put the words Trump and Russia in the same sentence they can make some vague, sinister allegation, and people say, oh, my gosh, did you read that? We were just talking in the break about how so many people, they assume there must be something to that because it's been in the news for so long. And, again, there's not been no sinister wrongdoing uncovered after we're coming up on a year of investigation. You make a great point. And one of my favorite examples of this is former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Okay, and by the way, just so that in case anybody doesn't know this, this is a a, a decorated military officer. He has served his country for decades. And if you just step back and think about the idea that Michael Flynn was somehow involved in treason or espionage or working with the Russians, it's a ludicrous idea on its face. But put that aside and just look at the stories that have come out. First, remember, the only reason supposedly we were looking at Michael Flynn, someone leaked a transcript in which it became clear that maybe he had not told uh, Vice President Pence about all of his conversations with a Russian ambassador. And for this reason alone, he lost his job. 
But we have now gone to that, to any speeches he's ever given, to now these endless exposés about Michael Flynn's work in Turkey for a Turkey <laughs> businessman. What does this have anything to do with the question of Russian interference with an election or Russian collusion? And you're exactly right. They put up these headlines that say, oh, Michael Flynn did all of this business in Turkey, and ooh, that's very concerning. Why? What does it have to do with, uh, again, the original point that we were talking about? Which has been lost for so many people. They just have it. Well, you know, Trump, Russia must be something here. It is this. We, I'm sure you harped on this also, but it's just the endless determination to undermine President Trump's legitimacy. The left still can't believe he won. And if there's any way to taint him or someone connected with him. And I agree with you on Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. I, I've had him on this show and another show that I substitute host had him on twice. Just a fabulous, well-informed, thoughtful you know, deeply patriotic guy. So I'm, I'm with you all the way in that. I want to ask, you made a point in your column I want to hit, which is you're talking about how Trump can sometimes kind of be his own worst enemy with Twitter, where he's he could do more to shape the public uh, conversation, but he doesn't always do that. So how could he use Twitter better? Yeah, and just to your point, this is my frustration with the media because they've joined with the Democrats to undermine him no matter what he does. When I think the correct role of all of us should be to step back and judge him the way you would any president. And that was the point of my comment in the column that I did that said, yeah, you know what, buddy? Like, it's so amazing that you have this Twitter handle. It's probably (laughs) the most powerful communications tool on the planet, okay? No president before you have ever had this ability to go around the media and set your agenda and speak directly to your followers and to everyone. But the problem is, is with in a day and age and a moment at which the press is just completely obsessed with writing about non-stories, about Russia and Jim Comey and Hillary Clinton and Carter Page, he is helping them to do that because he's giving them an excuse to do it every day by tweeting out items about those issues. Could you imagine and think about how amazing this would be if Donald Trump every morning got up and and he had a daily, he's like, here's the story the press isn't covering today. And just put it out there and then forced them to have to look at some of the things that he's doing in his administration and report on them because they're ignoring all this other stuff. And But he's helping them in that he's giving them an excuse to continue talking about this stuff. I love that point. And to your point also in that uh, what you were just saying, if Donald Trump were putting out the kind of facts you included in this column, all the accomplishments, I think it would help his own base because I think many people are sitting back and shaking their heads and saying, all I hear in the news is, you know, Trump and Russia and Carter Page and whoever else is this week's hot story. And they they don't feel as excited as they should be about the fact that he is, Donald Trump is trying to follow through on many of his campaign promises. This would help not just get the media to have to respond, but some of his own supporters who swept him into office saying, wow, he is doing something. I didn't even know this. They, they don't know. No, and he needs to do that because he's going to need them. He's going to need them next year during the midterms for all of those senators and House members who are up for re-election to be able to prove that they are doing things. And the media is not going to do it. They're going to want to continue focusing on the scandals. They're going to want to continue talking about the slow pace of legislative work, which, by the way, is how legislation works. It's a very slow process. 
we became so used to over the past eight years, President Obama just bypassing Congress and issuing his own executive rules and ruling sort of like an authoritarian, that we have forgotten that the legislative process takes time. It's a give and take. It's horse trading. It's back and forth. It's negotiations. They'll probably get there in the end the way that the House did on the Obamacare, repeal and replace. But the press wants to just meditate on how long this is taking, and does that suggest that they're not going to get there, they're not going to get a product in the end, and it's ignoring what really is taking place, which is from an executive level and a regulatory level in Donald Trump's departments. If you just tuned in, we're speaking tonight. We're just having a great time speaking with Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal. She's on the editorial board there. In addition to writing editorial, she writes the weekly Potomac Wash political column. Just always great stuff. And we're going to zip off to a break. When we come back, I want to talk with you, Kimberly, about this column you wrote related to the deep state and the EPA. I love the title. I love the article. And listeners, don't go away. We'll be right back and talk with Kimberly Strassel. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? 
Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Welcome back. So glad you tuned in tonight to America Can We Talk. I have my Millennial Roundtable joining me tonight. And we have online, if you're just tuning in now, we have online Kimberly Strassel. Uh, and she's just a prolific writer and, and wonderful thinker. She is on the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. And we were talking in the break. So one of the people who are here, one of the millennials, just I just have so many questions. I don't know where to start. I feel that way, too. But we want to turn and talk about your article about the anatomy of a deep state and People hear this term all the time, and um, the deep state, and it can sound, it's basically the notion that there are people embedded in agencies all over our federal government who just have been there long enough, they kind of think they're really in charge, and they're really undermining President Trump just because they're not on board with him. But your specific example in the EPA, why don't you just quick tell our listeners a story about this uh, deep state adventure at, um, within the EPA? Yeah, I think it goes a long way toward explaining a lot of the scary headlines you hear out of Washington and all the uproar and dysfunction this day, because the way you need to think of it is that we have tens of thousands of public servants who work for the bureaucracy, and for a bureaucracy that, by the way, now runs so much of our lives. It is an administrative state, and the problem is is they work behind the scenes, there's no accountability, and they're in charge of making very important decisions. And the, the example I like to give, just to put it into context for people, is what happened at the IRS and the targeting of Tea Party groups and other conservative organizations. This was a bureaucracy not elected, not accountable. No one had heard the name Lois Lerner until after she had done everything she did, but she had the ability to keep, in essence, tens of thousands of Americans from expressing their positions during the 2010 election because of what she did at the IRS. So 
the story at the EPA is that when President Obama was elected, and this is a somewhat silly, he suggested that there was no scientific integrity in the government. Yeah. And uh, this, of course, was just his way of saying he didn't like the way Republicans uh, ran uh, policy with regards to the EPA and other organizations. And so he was going to set up scientific integrity units all throughout government. And at the EPA, they took this directive uh, very far and decided they would, in fact, uh, appoint, name a scientific integrity officer. And if that doesn't sound Orwellian, I don't know (laughs) what does. But this uh, post is there. Was filled by a woman who used to work for the Union of Concerned Scientists, which, if anyone doesn't know, is a very radical left-wing environmental group. Uh, and she sits there today, still. She's never left her post, even though President Obama has gone. And she, in essence, gets to decide whether or not the EPA is conducting its analysis with sufficient scientific integrity. And among the things, she was referred a complaint that no less than Scott Pruitt, the new EPA administrator, uh, supposedly didn't have any scientific integrity because he questioned the role of human beings in climate science. And so here you have this unelected, unaccountable official who is running an investigation into whether or not her boss, the EPA administrator, uh, is somehow scientific enough to hold his post. And I just think that gives an, an incredible example of, of the weird power that we have given these unelected bureaucrats. It's simply staggering. It, it is unbelievable. So she, so she is going to pass judgment. <laughs> this was a request put into the EPA by the Sierra Club, but she's going to pass on whether Scott Pruitt, who was, I'm pretty sure, confirmed by the Senate, appointed by the president, confirmed by the Senate, whether he's allowed to even venture an opinion that maybe this this EPA elect, um, scientific integrity official uh, agrees with. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, all those things you said, but also accountable to the public, which is something that this woman is not. No one's ever even heard her name before. But she wields enormous ability within the agency to decide who can do what. And and by the way, I'd like to point out this was intentional. Barack Obama set up these positions and these units precisely to make sure that his vision of government and his vision of policy continued after he left office. And I think that that is something that we all need to be paying much more attention to, our, our civil service the roles that they play, and and especially in a day and age when they have so much power over our lives, uh, whether or not they we should have some of these positions and, and what they do. So, Kimberly, this is Ali Stuckey here. I've got a few questions for you. So I've heard of the deep state, but mostly it's just kind of this mystic, intangible idea that, okay, it's kind of like Never Never Land, like it might exist or maybe it might not. That's what it is in conversations, and especially when you hear the mainstream media talk about it. So is this something that is new, that was essentially created by the Obama administration? Um, Because if so, that would kind of answer my question for why the mainstream media doesn't talk about it. But if it's something that existed, say, you know, when Bush was in office or when Clinton was in office, I think we would have heard about it by now. But it seems like you're really one of the only voices out there that I've heard really articulate what the deep state is. So why is that? I think in fairness, we should probably be clear that the deep state and the word that term actually has existed for a long time, but we have 
in America appropriated it and really not in the way that it was originally meant. And I think that that's probably worth mentioning because it is, and even I will say so, a little hyperbolic in that the real deep state in the, in the term that it was originally used was the idea that you had this uh, within a government, a kind of active organization that was staging a coup from within, and they were actively working to, and I don't, I don't think that we are there. <laughs> um, so in that regard, it's probably a, a bit of an exaggeration. But what it does encapsulate is a, a growing and very strong bureaucracy that has an enormous amount of power to do things that are antithetical or opposed to the elected leadership of a country. And, you know, I don't think that we saw this as much. We certainly didn't see it under a President Clinton or a President Obama. And the reason why is because most of our bureaucracy, and you can just see this from the polls of them, uh, surveys and, and their own expressed beliefs, they lean left. And so when you have a Democratic president, they generally work in tandem with them. And you saw that with the IRS and Lois Lerner in that, no, I do not believe Barack Obama ever got on the telephone and told Lois Lerner to do what she did. But he as well as did in that he was out there every day talking about the problems with nonprofits and the Tea Party groups, and it was a dog whistle for the bureaucrats who loved him and wanted to serve him and that they would go and do this. Um, I think with President Bush, there wasn't such an active resistance with him and the bureaucracy. There were some, and there are certainly good examples of it, but he wasn't as controversial a president. You are now seeing this, though, on full display with President Trump because you have this left-leaning bureaucracy. They're taking on board all of the views of the, quote, resistance out there and deciding they're going to actively use their positions to try to undermine the policies of the new president. Uh, so, Kim, so Jeremy here, um, these, you know, quote-unquote deep state people, are, are these identifiable, are easily identifiable people? And it, it does it behoove the Trump administration to take specific measures in resistance to these people, or are they better off, you know, full steam ahead, uh, leaving them in the dust? They are easily identifiable. The problem is that they're not easily get ridable in that <laughs> Um, you know, one thing that was really interesting, I remember when the, the woman who was hired for this position at the EPA, the Scientific Integrity Officer, there was a story done by Science Magazine at the time she was hired, and, and Science Magazine made a big deal of pointing out that she was being hired under civil service rules and civil service protections, which is another way of saying you cannot fire her, in essence. You'd have to go through all kinds of hoops and procedures, and of course, the Obama administration did that on purpose. And we have all of these union protections for people who work for the federal government. And this was done precisely to make it difficult if you went out, you know, imagine the headlines too as well. Scott Pruitt like fires the scientific integrity officer. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's all designed to make it so that if you ever try to get rid of one of these people, it looks as though you're anti-science, you're anti-good government, you're anti uh, and so it, it's all been designed that way. Um, I think that there are nonetheless ways you can handle this. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to put out the attention on this woman is because 
she is in the near future holding a big meeting in which she wanted to have a discussion with outside, quote, stakeholder groups about uh, the scientific integrity of the EPA going forward, which is fine. That's not a bad idea, but I got a hold of and pointed out in the column that the only people she'd invited, in essence, were kind of barely radical environmental groups. And she had ignored and not invited all of the many scientists who work for industry organizations, all of the many scientists who work for corporations, all of the many scientists who work at private universities that have different views, uh, more moderate and forward-thinking views than those of the environmental left. And so uh, what you can do is put pressure on these people. Let's hope that when that meeting actually happens, she will have felt compelled to have opened it up to more people Uh, And I think simply shining a spotlight on these folks is a way to get a little bit more accountability from them. The problem is getting more of the press corps to do that. Love that point, too. You know, um, we're going to run out of time, as we always do in these um, more topics than time, I would say. But on the subject of the deep state, I think part of what happens is the term is very descriptive, but I agree it can appear to be an exaggerated phenomenon. If if people assume that the term deep state signifies a super secret organized meeting, a clandestine meeting where you all sat down and plotted things, which in the case of the EPA example you wrote about is kind of, it's in the ballpark of what that was like. It was a more organized thing. But really, I remember Ronald Reagan complaining about it when he came to power, which just says he could put heads of agencies in, in place, and yet, and he had agendas, and he knew what he wanted, and then the heads of agencies did. But there were, as a wide swath of, of bureaucrats at uh, mid to upper level bureaucrats in countless agencies who simply thought their presence in Washington was going to uh, be longer than the presence. They've, they've seen presidents come and go, and they're going to push their agenda. So we didn't call it deep state. It was that same phenomenon. We're not going to let the president lead. We're going to undermine him. We are sadly out of time. Kimberly Strassel, the last, I wish we had time to talk about the great uh, thing you wrote, The Left's War on Free Speech. I'll put it up on our website, America Can We Talk. Kimberly, thank you for calling in. Thanks for having me. So sorry we're out of time, folks. That is one of the greatest things she wrote, and I'll just tell you about it. It'll be on our website, America Can We Talk, on our Facebook page. Uh, Her points on the left's war on free speech are fabulous. Don't go away.